Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. I hope you're having a fabulous day. All right, I'm making sure I got my page set up correctly here. There we go. Make sure that we're actually logged in. And we are. All right. Uh, today we're going to get into chapter 5 of the book of Acts. Uh, I have just a couple foundational thoughts to keep in mind while reading today. Uh, Peter and John had uh, already uh, walked into the lion's den and preached uh, the, at Solomon's colonnade in the temple courts. Uh, they'd healed the lame man. Shots fired. The Sanhedrin uh, chewed them out, sent them home, and it didn't stop them. They went right back at it. Something about the Sanhedrin I just want you to keep in mind. Not everybody involved in the Sanhedrin was evil. Uh, Nicodemus, for one, he was a member. Um, we're going to find another member that uh, that really was not out and evil. His name was Gamaliel. And you'll recognize him uh, as he was Paul's teacher, Paul the Apostle's teacher, when Paul was a Pharisee. He, not everybody in the Sanhedrin is evil, but overall that uh, governing body of the Jewish faith existed hand-in-hand hand with the Roman government. They ran the nation's religious world solely at the pleasure of the Roman government. Now, Rome wasn't benevolent it made sense for them to allow the Sanhedrin and the religious community of Israel to continue because it was a great way to keep the peace. And they were all about keeping the peace. But the two entities worked with each other. As you can tell during Jesus' trial, how Pilate and the Sanhedrin, Pilate actually demurred to the San, to the Sanhedrin's request about Jesus. So they worked together and it was overall a corrupt body and anytime you see a religious institution working hand in hand with secular government that's suspect to me when i was in russia at the time the evangelical churches uh struggled mightily the Russian Orthodox Church in many communities worked hand-in-hand hand with the governing authorities and they made life very difficult for evangelical churches. Um, so that's part of the dynamic that's going on here in the book of Acts. Keep that in mind. All right, let's transition over here to our document. Acts chapter 5. We start off with the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Now, just previous to this, a man, gentleman by the name of Barnabas, uh, he shows up later in relation to Paul, the apostle. He had sold a piece of property. He was a Levite. He sold a piece of property and brought the entire amount 
and gave it to the apostles to give to the poor. Because you remember one of the distinguishing marks of the uh, early church is that nobody had need. Anybody had extra, they brought it, the church distributed it, the church was taking care of people, the church was incredibly popular, I'm sure, partially because of this. And Barnabas sold a piece of property and brought all his money, gave it to the apostles, and they distributed it. All right, so. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, the thing about offering is that it's a free will. You give what you want to give. You give what you're compelled to give. Ananias and Sapphira had sold a piece of property and they kept part of the money and they, they brought the rest and brought it to him. But something very, very curious happened. Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? In other words, it, he didn't care that uh, Ananias kept some money for himself and gave the rest. What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. What had happened was Ananias maybe was trying to emulate Barnabas and made a big deal about, I sold a piece of property and here's all the money from that property. And he gave it to the apostles. He lied. He misrepresented his offering. He was involved more with self-promotion, maybe, than he was with worship. Because giving an offering is an act of worship. When you give something to God, you're demonstrating to God that you're not dependent on that thing that you gave, that you're dependent on God. So when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young, young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Ananias' death confirmed God's displeasure at such self-promotion that undervalues the presence of God. That comes out of a commentary. Ananias misrepresented himself. He made himself look like something he wasn't. And he declared something, he, de he was participating in something as an act of worship, but it was tainted because he lied. So apparently, when he brought this offering forward, he gave the impression, or maybe even said outright, that this was every dollar he'd made from that property. If he'd come forward and said, hey, I sold this property for $10,000, and here's $8,000 of that, I want you to distribute it to the poor. Totally legit, no issues. But if he came forward and said, I sold this property for $8,000, and I'm giving everything I made from this sale to distribute to the poor, what a wonderful man that I am. Self-promotion. People who use the church as an opportunity for self-promotion, that's a dangerous game to play. In, the, in one of the Gospels, um, Jesus points to a Pharisee. You know, he made mention the fact that some of these Pharisees stand on street corners with their fancy robes and garbs. 
praying out loud for all to see what holy, wonderful men that they are. And Jesus says, you know what? They've received their reward. They get nothing from heaven for this. This is Ananias. He pretended to be like Barnabas. Barnabas sold the property, brought everything, just dumped it at the feet of the apostles and give it to the poor. Ananias sells a piece of property, brings part of it, but apparently pretended that it was all of it. He lied to the apostles and to God. And in this instance, God wasn't having it. Now, aren't you glad that this doesn't happen every time we lie about our intentions? I am. But back then, God didn't allow it. For whatever reason, God decided to make a lesson, object lesson out of Ananias. Well, later on, about three hours later, his wife comes in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias paid for the land, got for the land? She said, yeah, that's the price. And Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they're going to carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The issue was representing themselves as something they were not. Or perhaps we could say that they used the church for self-benefit. Throughout the centuries, we've seen people do that time and time and time again. And to be honest, uh, when the church is functioning as it should, it's a pleasant place to be. It's a pleasant place to be associated with. And when the church is caring for its own, when the church is caring for its community, Everybody around the church benefits. But you're going to run across people who, instead of wanting to be benefactors, instead of wanting to be uh, helpers in blessing those around them, they see the church as an opportunity for gain, for self-promotion. That's what Ananias and Sapphira, they pretended to be something they were not. If he had just said, look, I sold over 10, I'm giving you eight, do what you need to for the poor, there wouldn't have been a deal, big deal about it. God wants us to give what we want to give, what we're compelled to give. There's no specific amount. I could sell, if I sold my truck for $1,000 and gave 500 to the church, that would be fine. But if I go around trumpeting the fact that I sold my truck for $500 and gave it all to the church, trying to make myself look like something that I'm not, that would be wrong. Now, Ananias and Sapphira, they paid the price. And it says, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. God was moving. There were miracles. There was discipline. There were strange things happening. Some of these things started getting back to the Sanhedrin. Now, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Used to. In the beginning, they all met in Solomon's colonnade. That's the outer courts of the, of the temple. 
And they would go there on a daily basis. And they would talk about Torah. And they would share and they'd pray. And they'd witness. What would they witness? What they knew. What they saw happening day to day. What had happened to Ananias and Sapphira, for instance. They would be witnesses to how the poor were being taken care of. They'd be witnessing to the power of Jesus and the name of Jesus. But no one else dared join those believers in Solomon's Colonnade, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Now, why? Because the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, were not on board with this religious movement. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to the number. This thing is growing like a weed. Oh my goodness. 3,000 of the day of Pentecost. A couple days later, 2,000 more. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people daily are being added to, this, to the church. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to the number. As a result, people brought their sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. They were hoping that Peter's shadow would heal. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. This was an amazing time. God was establishing a powerful movement, a powerful new entity in the midst of Israel. And he was doing it literally on the doorstep of the religious institution that was opposed to them. Then the high priests and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. So they obeyed. They did it. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they'd been told, and began to teach the people, just like they'd been doing. When the high priest and associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But in arriving at the jail, the officers didn't find them there, so they went back and reported, hey, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened the doors, there was no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple of the guards and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Yeah, you know, we didn't leave our posts. We didn't fall asleep. We were alert all night long. They were there when we started our watch, and at the end of our watch, they weren't there. We don't know how they left. Hmm. We know what happened. An angel of the Lord did it, but they couldn't figure it out. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail, <laughs> they're standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles from the temple courts into the Sanhedrin. They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. They recognized that this movement was very popular with people. Sick were being healed. 
right? The poor were being taken care of. They were doing a better job than the religious institution itself, apparently. And they were very popular in the eyes of the populace. The apostles are brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Isn't that the height of hypocrisy? Of course they were guilty of his blood. They're the ones who demanded that Pilate kill him. They're the ones that arrested him. They're the ones who held, gave, put him in front of a kangaroo court. They're the ones responsible for his death. And they're here they are acting. You've determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Well, guess what, guys? You were. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. They couldn't deny that. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. They're invoking their right as witnesses. They're talking about what they've seen, what they know, what they personally experienced. They're not talking about what they think or what they want to be right. They're just repeating what they know. And what do they know? Jesus Christ crucified, raised on the third day, sitting at the right hand of the Father. What else do they know? That the Holy Spirit is entering into the game in a new way. Everybody who comes to faith in Jesus now has the Holy Spirit in them. Unlike days of old, where the Holy Spirit would fall and select individuals, Everybody who comes to the name of Jesus, who re receives salvation in the name of Jesus, now has the same Holy Spirit in them. They're witnesses of this. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Now, you just got to imagine, this is, a, this is a courtroom situation. There's no real trial that took place here. They said, don't speak in this name. And they said, we're going to speak in this name then they're going to put him to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, you'll hear about him later, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people. In other words, he was highly popular with the people. Gamaliel was beloved. He stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a bit. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claimed to be, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourselves fighting against God. This body here had believers and non-believers in it. 
the Sanhedrin had, not everybody in the Sanhedrin was a bad man, Nicodemus, Gamaliel. They speak with reason. Gamaliel is calming everything down. Interesting thought. The Sanhedrin was a body that held a great deal of power in Jewish society, in Israel, both with Israel and Rome. And we see that in how Pilate deferred to the Sanhedrin in the trial of Jesus. They worked together. They were like hand and glove. Nicodemus met with Jesus in secret because the Sanhedrin had a great deal of power and he didn't want to run afoul of the Sanhedrin, so he met with Jesus at night. That's how we know it was in secret. And here, Gamaliel, perhaps one of the most revered Pharisees and the teacher of Saul, later Paul the Apostle, uh, later on in Acts, he reveals that he was a disciple of Gamaliel. He calms the fury of the Sanhedrin with this reasoned speech. It makes me wonder if Gamaliel was a believer, but one that was cowed by the might of the Sanhedrin, whose majority hated Jesus so. Jesus had followers on the Sanhedrin. Jesus had followers everywhere. But the Sanhedrin as a body was so corrupt, so evil, that it could not be overcome by godly men in its midst. We're going to see that eventually God completely crushes Israel. The temple is destroyed and Israel is scattered and they don't come back for almost 2,000 years. The religious institution that was at the heart and soul of Israel had become so intertwined with the rulers, the ruling, the governing authority, Rome, that there was no saving it. And sometimes I wonder when there is a, an increased intertwining between the church and the government, if that's a bad thing, I think it is. We should stand apart from the government. We should not be part of the governing I know that, that that takes us down all kinds of political discussions. I'm going to avoid all that for the time being. Just know that here, the governing authority within Israel was walking hand in hand with Rome. But don't think that they were equal. Don't think that Rome observed the Sanhedrin as being their ruling equal. They weren't. When Rome finally had enough, Rome crushed them, destroyed the temple, scattered the Jewish people all over the world. But here, Gamaliel is a reasonable man in the midst of a bunch of very unreasonable religious leaders. You know, his speech persuaded them. So in their, in their pride, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. What, what an insanely dumb, weak, spineless thing to do. You know, all they would have had to do is produce the body. They could have shut this whole thing down if they just said, look, you say you're following a resurrected Lord. Here's his body. There he is. There's your dead Lord. And, and things would have fallen apart. But all they could do was, don't preach in his name anymore. You're making us responsible for his death. They were responsible for his death. 
This shows to me anyway, the true impotence of the Sanhedrin in the face of the apostles' testimony and work. All they would have had to do was to deliver the corpse of Jesus and all this would go away. But all they can do is bluster and posture. Did they really think they could shut the mouths of these witnesses? The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for his name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Not exactly the results the Sanhedrin wanted. As I said before, shots fired. The conflict between the followers of Jesus and the religious community, religious leadership of Israel was coming to a boiling point. Currently, all the believers are still considered part of Judaism. They meet regularly at Solomon's Colonnade in the temple for teaching and preaching. They meet from house to house, fellowshipping and eating and sharing meals. They're helping the poor. And they're doing all of this really without a lot of external organization. Uh, yeah, there were the apostles, but there wasn't a lot of organization going on yet. This thing was just sweeping like a fire through Jerusalem. It's an amazing, an amazing time. Well, that's chapter 5. We're getting ready to go into some really interesting stuff. The battle heats up considerably. And we're going to be introduced to a very volatile character in the name of Saul of Tarsus in the next few chapters. So I'm going to let you go. I'm going to go. And I hope to see you a little further up the creek. I'm Mr. G. Here's my coffee. And I am out of here. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.